I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I am your host, Mary Wilkerson. And we're excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome and thank you again once uh, for joining us. Great to be with you both. Thank you. I hope you both had a blessed celebration of Easter. Yeah. Sure did. Sure did. It was nice to be uh, in person at church. <laughs> it's one of those things you won't take for granted again, right? Oh, it was. Amen. And beautiful weather we've been having lately too, which is really nice. So, Archbishop, I know obviously with with uh, with the Holy uh, Holy Week and Easter itself, you've had a busy month. How how was your past month? How's everything been going for you? Well, uh, certainly very well. I think uh, continue to move forward. I mean, you hit the highlight of my month, which uh, was the celebration of Holy Week and, mm-hmm. uh, and Easter. I was deeply moved, uh, particularly walking into the cathedral at the Chrism Mass on Holy mm. Thursday morning. Mm. Just uh, so grateful we could all be back together. Uh, yeah. We had been through we've been through such an awful year, and to yeah. see all the brother priests and and in seeing them to think about all of the sacrifices they've made and the ways they had worked so zealously to serve the people of God over, over this, uh, this year of uh, the pandemic. So many, many blessings, and not least uh, being able really to celebrate <clears throat> the Triduum with people in the cathedral yes. instead, of, the Lord. You know, instead of the ten. Yeah. Also, uh, it's a great, uh, the, these are great days as we move forward on families of parishes. Uh, mm. We really are uh, launching out and yeah. uh, sometimes it's scary when I think yeah. about it, but uh, I know we're doing it under the impulse of the Holy Spirit. I imagine what it must have been like when the apostles had to get out of the upper room. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're leaving the upper room again, and I give God praise and thanks for that. that this yeah. is an important uh, month for all of that. You know, I just think of, I think, uh, springtime, right? And there's such a renewal with families of parishes. And like you said, the Triduum, having everybody together again. And the Chrism Mass is already a liturgy that I cannot get through without sobbing when all the priests come together. And you see this, it just, it brings to mind um, the sacrifice. <laughs> Mary, the I'm, I'm not you, sure. Well, uh, uh, no. Explain why we make you cry. <laughs> It's so beautiful. I can actually picture myself in the cathedral. Yes, no, sobbing with beauty because I think sometimes we get stuck in the (laughs) yuck of the church. Listen, I'm going to explain it. We get stuck in some of the the tough parts of being Catholic. And when you see all of these men who have committed their lives to service in this beautiful way come down the aisle, I sob every time, every time. Mike, we've talked. You can get emotional too when Mm -hmm. you see that. When they all come in and you know so many of these, like I've been blessed to know so many good priests in the archdiocese and you're looking at their faces and it just makes me feel gratitude it's tears of gratitude for the priesthood and it was so nice to see that it happened in person this year yeah mary (laughs) i I knew where you were gonna go but i (laughs) i couldn't help teasing you a little it was a fair it was a fair joke it was a fair joke (laughs) 
Remember, Mary, Mary is very high highs and low lows. She's exactly. very extreme in her emotional <laughs> I spectrum. I do, and those but, liturgies kill me every year. Like, I just, I cannot get yeah. through them without very much connecting the emotions the Lord has given me to what yeah. we are witnessing through the movements of the Triduum and the Chrism yeah. Mass included. So, yeah, it's good stuff. You know, it might be just interesting to say here, uh, those tears are a great grace. Uh, mm. the, the spiritual authors uh, talk about that, that kind of a gift. Mm. that uh, obviously we need to use our minds uh, to be in communion, make our act of faith, yeah. but uh, our emotions are a very important way for us to be connected to the Lord. So, oh, absolutely. Well, I, I feel them. The Lord has given me that gift pretty <laughs> profoundly. <laughs> uh. That's fine. Mike, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, I think as I get older, I noticed I, I find uh, a deeper resonance of beauty each year uh, with Holy Week. I, I don't know why. It just strikes me each year. It gets beautiful, more beautiful as I age, and I'm finding it more and more compelling. Uh, and it's also, I was just going to say, it's just such a beautiful difference. I know last year around this time, we were asking you how you enjoy saying Mass to an uh, 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 an empty, church. an empty church and so it's beautiful that we're finally in a different space this year yes. you know so thank god thank god thank god amen you know uh, archbishop i know earlier this month um you know everyone 16 years and older became eligible for the covid-19 vaccine i know that uh social media there was a post that you had received your vaccine back in february how did you feel about that were you excited uh, relieved um, nervous what what did you think I wasn't nervous. Uh, I was uh, very relieved. Uh, I felt that uh, now I uh, would have this very helpful protection. I have confidence in, uh, in our medical authorities. And uh, I, I was very grateful to uh, the folks at uh, Ascension Health who set up the clinic that I got invited to, uh, uh, where I got invited to get my vaccine. And the people were just so kind. I mean, oh. it was a huge number of people to be cared for. And uh, the nurses and the other professional staff, uh, there were physicians, of course, supervising. Everybody was so happy, so cheerful, so helpful. Made me proud of uh, our Catholic healthcare. Very cool. So this month, we have an opportunity to discuss Divine Mercy, a Catholic devotion to Jesus Christ associated with the apparitions of Jesus to St. Faustina Kowalska. Can you give a quick overview of who St. Faustina was and what she saw and heard in her apparitions and maybe how that led to Divine Mercy? Well, I think, I mean, she was a woman who lived uh, from the beginning I'm not sure, maybe even at the very end of the 19th century, but uh, I think so. But I know she died about 1938, uh, so she uh, didn't live do through the Second World War, into the Second World War. She was uh, came from a very humble background in Poland. Uh, her father was a carpenter. Uh, she joined uh, the sisters, and uh, while there, she had these mystical experiences uh, uh, of our Lord revealing himself to her with this title of uh, his divine mercy and uh, asking her to be an apostle of this devotion uh, because the world needs the healing of, of the mercy of his loving heart. And the devotion, like all of these things, you know, I don't know if, if you think about it, there's a tremendous similarity uh, to the spread of this devotion, to the spread of the devotion of the Sacred Heart, 
to the spread of the devotion of uh, uh, the most blessed sacrament in Corpus Christi. Uh, very often uh, led by uh, mystics, people of deep prayer. I think in all three cases, uh, I'm pretty sure even for Corpus Christi, but obviously for the Sacred Heart, uh, a, a woman, uh, a charismatic woman with a mission in the church. And uh, like the other parallels, uh, uh, resistance at first, uh, misunderstanding, but eventually it all comes right. And mm -hmm. uh, particularly through the uh, the work of uh, uh, Cardinal, then Cardinal Carol Wojtyła, mm -hmm. uh, the devotion became recognized in the church and has spread ever since. And he he was in some sense the second apostle. He he, uh, right. he made a team uh, with uh, Saint Faustina to spread mm. this devotion. I believe um, John Paul II, he actually passed away on Divine Mercy Sunday. Isn't that right, Archbishop? Yeah, it is, Mike. Uh, he, uh, he died at, after Vespers, first Vespers on Saturday evening, but by liturgical calendar, yeah. that's already the beginning of uh, Divine Mercy Sunday. And yeah. so, he, he, yes, he died uh, on Divine Mercy Sunday, first Vespers. Well, I like too that you were you were talking about how this devotion has kind of come into being, and I always think about how, like, development of doctrine, different things that we know to be true, God's always deepening our understanding of His goodness and uses His people to do that. And the the devotion of Divine Mercy seems so needed right at this point in history. You know, the fact that it was in the year two thousand that this became official, and then look at these last you know, 20 years. <laughs> it's been a need for the church, and I think maybe the Spirit knew that, right? Oh, I think we are being guided by God's providence. He brings forth uh, things old and new, and uh, we pay attention to those that God raises up. Uh, this, this is the truth about the Marian apparitions as well. Uh, these, these are interventions by God and his providence to... Uh, put a light on the path ahead of us. Yeah. And they are all really about the gospel. Private devotions are, are never a replacement for the gospel. Mm -hmm. They're windows, uh, perspectives mm -hmm. uh, about uh, ways to focus on the revelation that is the, the public uh, possession of the church. Mm -hmm. You know, Archbishop, I know, um, what would you say as far as the, the term divine mercy? How, how is that distinct or different from just regular mercy? You know, I, I, I know, is there um, a specialness to that term? Uh, and could you kind of speak to that a little bit? I think in the use of the term, uh, we are reminded that the, the mercy actually comes from God himself. <clears throat> and that emphasizes how, uh, what a condescension it is. How generous God is uh, to be merciful to us sinners. Uh, that it's it's a pure grace. We have no no uh, merit of our own to have the mercy. I think that's uh, that's what's emphasized by t speaking of the divine mercy. It's another way of saying God's mercy. Hmm. And uh, here in our uh, uh, shrine in the archdiocese. They've asked if we would, uh, if I would agree to let them specify Jesus, the divine mercy, identify mm. the very person of Jesus 
as the Father's mercy. And I think that's quite accurate because uh, the mercy of God the Father is in the very flesh and blood, the very uh, person, uh, the incarnate person of his Son. Mm -hmm. There is no other mercy for us outside of Christ. Outside of Jesus. When I think of divine mercy, I always think of that image, right? The image that, was it that St. Faustina had it commissioned? Is that how that picture came about? I believe she did, and uh, she uh, had this inspiration from her prayer. Mm -hmm. uh, this was something she understood that the Lord himself wanted and how he wanted it to, basically to look. Mm -hmm. uh, I read recently that uh, when she saw the, the artist depiction it made her cry it wasn't as wasn't as beautiful as she thought it ought to be or what, what she and she had seen about Jesus right but the most significant of course are the the white and uh, red light that come from the heart which mm. I take to you know, I think it's commonly understood that this represents the blood and water that came from the side of Christ mm -hmm. uh, as he slept on the cross and it's another connection for me, particularly, between uh, Jesus and his sacred heart and mm -hmm. Jesus, uh, the divine mercy, because uh, the mercy of Christ comes from the very heart of Christ. The priest at the, I was at Mass on Sunday, and um, the priest focused his homily on Divine Mercy Sunday, and he said the same thing, that yeah, the image, she was frustrated, that it, it couldn't capture the beauty that she kind of had pictured. And the other thing that he shared that I thought was, I, I just think things like this are important to sometimes remember. He said, you know, she wasn't necessarily, St. Faustina was not necessarily the smartest, the best at writing. Like she, he said some of her, her writing, you know, has grammatical errors and, and God used that. Like he uses the gifts that we uh, can bring to him to present his message to us. Even if sometimes we think of them as a little flawed or, or not exactly what we wanted, he can use that for such good, like for this, you know, international message of his love, which is really beautiful, I think, to think about. Well, this is very typical of the whole history of the church. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, I've talked to all of us uh, on the podcast before about my own uh, particular affection for Our Lady of Lourdes. I mean, St. <laughs> Bernadette couldn't read and write French. Isn't uh, Saint Therese, uh, certainly w well educated as a, a child of the bourgeois, but uh, uh, she, she was no significant personage. Uh, God chooses the Our Lady herself. Mm. God chooses the little ones to confound the weak, uh, the the wise, as Saint Paul says. And yeah. the the importance of that is to uh, it, it shows the, that this is about the goodness of God and not uh, the cleverness of men and women. Yeah, so good. So we are encouraged as Catholics, obviously, to participate in divine in divine mercy and the divine mercy devotion. And the church kind of made it a universal uh, moment for all of us. So what are some ways that you think are effective ways to increase our devotion to the divine mercy or as families, as you know, people that love Jesus to really focus on this devotion? Well, I think the chaplet is a very helpful prayer for many, many people. I think uh, an image of Jesus, the divine mercy, is a very uh, fine, holy picture to have in the home. Uh, I, I read recently that St. Faustina said, uh, 
important is not only to speak about divine mercy and to pray for God's divine mercy, but to do the works of mercy. Mm. I've been thinking a lot about this, that uh, you know, we, we talk about uh, uh, being good neighbors and uh, doing, uh, uh, acting in solidarity, building up our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's important for us to recognize that when we do these things as disciples, these are works of mercy. I, I like right. the, I'd like us to return to that nomenclature of uh, the corporal works of mercy and the spiritual works of mercy. And uh, I'm very pleased that Catholic Charities of Southeast Michigan, our own charities organization in the Archdiocese, has adopted this uh, approach and speaks uh, uh, ordinarily of engaged in works of mercy. And, and you know, you ask about family, Mary. Yeah. I think... Uh, I learned a lesson from uh, some of the scholars at Notre Dame that uh, doing it together as a family is the best way to inculcate these habits, Mm -hmm. to pray together divine mercy and to have that prayer flow over together into works of mercy. As a family, for example, to work at the soup kitchen, to... uh, be engaged in uh, uh, the neighborhood cleanup, if that's uh, right. the, what people are doing. But to always accompany that with prayer so that it's not just do-goodism, but it's a, it's a witness to Jesus. I love that you just said that as a reminder, because I was just thinking, obviously, whenever we have these discussions, I refer to my own life. And, you know, we pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet with our kids. We sing it, which is my favorite when my children's little voices sing it. And we do works of mercy. But I don't know if I've ever bridged the connection of the two for my kids, that this is like a flow. And the the picture makes it quite easy to do that. You know, that this is an, an overflow of Jesus's mercy. We get to participate in it through the acts of mercy. It's something so small with language, but I think those type of things make a significant difference for our children and our families to be able to see how everything's interconnected, right? These aren't just two separate things. It all flows together. Yeah, it'd be That's, great yeah. uh, once, you, you know, I don't, I don't know what the, the works of mercy are that you're, let's yeah. let's say helping at the soup kitchen, yeah. uh, just to say uh, uh, the, uh, the prayer for the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Right. Uh, just to say the prayer as uh, as you begin the work. Yeah, it's a really good idea and something simple. I always try to think of how to take our faith and um, really apply it in practical ways for our family. So it just becomes part of what we do. And that's a real simple bridge to make, I think, in our families. So thank you for that piece. Yeah, I always think personally, too, I know this year I really reflected with it and I went to... Um, a Divine Mercy hour, uh, my wife and I went to the parish and, you know, at three o'clock on Divine Mercy Sunday, they had a holy hour and we prayed the chaplet and stuff. And in reflection on it, I know for me, I think I saw it like the three dimensions in a new way, uh, personally. I know like the, the dimension of obviously God's divine mercy, which we typically ask for, like we want God's mercy shown to us. And then also the idea of just his mercy that we, like you said, Mary, 
there's like one mercy, if you will, and we participate in that mercy. So when we're merciful, we're actually participating in God's own right. mercy and expressing it. But then also that third dimension, which is, you know, I, I just think we get into the thing where we just kind of like pray for God's mercy for us, like it's kind of a consumer mindset without thinking about how am I not just receiving the mercy, but then pouring it away and giving it away to others as well through concrete actions and stuff yeah. as well. You know what I mean? So the prayers, of course, are great, but then also the actionable items. So it's kind of got those three main points, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a, a triad that's, you know, and it has to go all together. If it's not together, then it's it's a little bit more flat and it's missing something, you know? Mm-hmm. And Mike, just to underscore something you said, you know, it that when we do works of mercy, it's God's mercy. Uh, we really need to be uh, clear on the realism of that. Mm, when yeah. you do a work of charity, a, a, a work of divine love, that is as qualitatively worthy in the sight of the Father as if Jesus in his own very person had done that. Mm. That's what we mean by merit in the life of the Catholic Church. That what we do in the mystical body when Jesus, when the Father looks at it, he recognizes that this is the work of his own son. That's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty profound. And I keep thinking of that image, right? In the, the blood and the, the grace, the, the, the red and the, the white flowing forward and the invitation to participation in that is, that's, that's pretty profound. Yeah. So along those lines, Archbishop, and, and this might seem obvious to some, but a lot of the ways that we celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday, obviously, is it, people are encouraged to go to confession and to receive the Eucharist. How are those things tied to this message of Divine Mercy, to the image of Divine Mercy? Well, the, these are the most uh, powerful ways that the Lord Jesus pours out his mercy into the life of his mystical mm. body. And I think that uh, they receive a new impetus, a new call. I mean, uh, this is a devotion that comes from the 1930s. Uh, we've, we've had the sacraments of penance and Eucharist much before that, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's not a new reality, but it's a, a new emphasis, a new perspective to think about these gifts of divine mercy, and especially the sacrament of penance, because in the sacrament of penance, uh, we have the most explicit way that Jesus is merciful to us sinners. I mean, the Holy Eucharist is a great mercy. It's, it comes from the side of Christ. Uh, it's the, uh, the water represents baptism. The blood represents the Holy Eucharist. It comes, uh, the, these sacraments come from the side of Jesus and make the church to be. So the Eucharist is where we taste God's mercy. Mm. So I think the, these two sacraments are given uh, new, uh, a new lumin- luminosity mm. by uh, our uh, developing the being de- uh, participants in the in the divine mercy devotion. Mm. You know, Archbishop. I know some of us. There's, there's so many devotions out there, and some really speak to us and, and resonate with us, and others maybe not as much for whatever reason. I know, like for you, for example, I know. Um, our Lady of Lords really resonates with you. Um, is is how, how does Divine Mercy and Divine Mercy Sunday resonate with you? And, and what are some of the things you've done to kind of celebrate or um, participate in this devotion? 
I'm going to say something about your first comment, Mike, before I talk about my own experience. Uh, you talk about lots of devotions in the church. Uh, that's a really good thing. And my uh, word of wisdom when I was in the seminary to the future priest was, in the Catholic Church, there's something for everybody, but not everything is for everybody. Right. And yeah. uh, the devotion, the, the patron saints, uh, the titles that one is attracted to, uh, one uh, people need to pay attention to that. Mm. And uh, you don't have to do all of the devotions that the Church yeah. sanctions. Uh, they are varied, and they meet... Uh, varied temperaments and people's diverse history and that's good god wants us to he wants mike to be a saint like mike mm -hmm. uh, you can't do it the way mary does you know right. identically it's going to be yes, different definitely. and god's glorified that way <laughs> right so uh you know my own uh, as i've test attested here uh, Our Lady of Lourdes is a very particular way for me to be devoted to Our Lady. Now, everybody needs to have some devotion to the Mother of God, hmm. but uh, it will be different for different people. Mm -hmm. About Divine Mercy, uh, I really come at it personally through my own uh, long history of devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I mm -hmm. see it as an extension and a way to... Uh, have a, a, a fresh perspective on the heart of Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up as a little kid, uh, obviously making the first Fridays. That was very important in our parish. And then when I got to the seminary, which is dedicated to the Sacred Heart, uh, we were uh, constantly, it was constantly held up for us, the priestly heart of Jesus. He was mm -hmm. the and the cornerstone of the seminary says, I will give you uh, shepherds after my own heart. And so uh, divine mercy, especially the, through meditating on the picture, is a way for me to be refreshed and renewed, get a new perspective on my devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. I think uh, the chaplet is a beautiful prayer. Uh, a part of the chaplet that really speaks to me is the Trisagian hymn uh, oh. uh, that ends, the, the yep. so. Holy God. I think it's fascinating that it ends with the, uh, this prayer from the Byzantine liturgy that is included in the liturgy of the Latin church for Good Friday. When uh, we get to that part of the prayer, it strikes me, it, it takes me to Good Friday itself, the, oh. the great work of uh, our Lord meriting the Father's mercy for us. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna, I was going to say something else. Oh, uh, you know, I think we're blessed here in the Archdiocese with uh, the Divine Mercy Shrine out in yeah. Clinton Township. And yeah. uh, being able to be supportive of uh, uh, the uh, uh, private association of the lay faithful who uh, uh, have established the shrine and uh, 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 advance its mission. Uh, that's been a very important part of my pastoral ministry. Yeah. You know, Archbishop, as I understand it, this last Divine Mercy Sunday this year, uh, that's actually where you were, is that right? You were at the, new, the new, uh, newly named Divine Mercy Center, is that right? Uh, the new shrine. It's The oh, center shrine. has been established for a while, okay. but uh, they've... Uh, developed their, their apostolate to such a point that then they felt they were able to petition me 
to be recognized as a shrine for the whole archdiocese. And uh, we've studied the matter. Uh, I've had people look at it, uh, some of my advisors. And so I issued a decree establishing it as a, as a shrine. So it's analogous to the shrine of the, well, actually the shrine of the little flower is a national shrine, but right. there's a shrine, a diocesan shrine at St. Anne's, old St. Joe's on mm -hmm. J Street. Uh, a shrine of Our Lady of Fatima uh, down river, uh, or the shrine of St. Joseph out in Pontiac. And right. uh, this is a, another diocesan shrine. And when you say that they, was it lay people that came together with a devotion to the Divine Mercy? How did, what is, how did it Yeah, it's a lay start? movement. It's a group okay. of lay people who uh, have uh, uh, felt uh, blessed by uh, the gift of mercy in their own lives, mm -hmm. and they want to share that with other people. So Archbishop, that's wonderful that you visited the Shrine on Divine Mercy Sunday. Uh, how was that visit, and what might you recommend that visitors do if they go there themselves? Well, it was a beautiful opportunity for me. Of course, uh, the, uh, there was a, a certain uh, limitation because of the COVID restrictions. I, I, the, right. the chapel uh, had to have social distancing, and I believe actually that uh, they had to limit uh, attendance to uh, people by invitation. But for me, the, mm -hmm. the great blessing was to be able to be encouraging to the lay people who see themselves and who understand themselves to be apostles of God's mercy, the mercy of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was doing the, the I was doing my job as a bishop, as a, a spiritual father. Uh, to be supportive of of, uh, of the the apostles, the, the prayer ministers, uh, people at the shrine. Um, people are interested. I think go online, see what uh, what's available, uh, what what activities are going on at the at the shrine, and that'd be a, a good way to think about. Uh, visiting and uh, there are indulgences attached to going to the shrine and those will be also listed on the uh, on the website i kind of love how you said that um kind of your your duty as a bishop that uh, thinking about just kind of how a group of men and women felt this strong devotion to divine mercy and then worked with that and prayed with that and then came to the archdiocese and and then you being there right just showing kind of anything that kind of flags or points to the connectedness of our church and even the hierarchy and what God's doing in a bigger level is kind of really neat. So I'm glad that you were able to go and I definitely will check out the website. I haven't been there. Have you been there, Mike? No. Maybe we could take a little pilgrimage. Oh, look at that. Well, it's way um, over in Macomb County. I don't know if you're uh, if you're up to that. Uh. <laughs> I'll pack snacks for the kids. <laughs> Mike and uh, Mike and his wife are godparents for one of our children, so it's it's fun to kind of uh, do things like that occasionally. So that would be a fun thing to do on a weekend. So yeah, cool. Is there anything else, Archbishop, that you think that we, as the the lay faithful or priest, anybody that's listening, could could benefit from when contemplating and praying with the message of divine mercy? I think the most important thing is to uh, find the, uh, the hook, the window maybe is a better word, uh, that, uh, opens, that opens before you that you're inclined to uh, look at or, or the door you're inclined to pass through in order to contemplate the mystery of 
God's mercy in his son, Jesus, and then um, see what happens after, after you do that. Uh, uh, what, are you, what inspirations do you have? What, uh, what, what, does God, what, what grace does God seem to offer you? Because it's going to be different for each individual person. I mean, there, there's a, it's a range. It's not going to be radically opposed, but it's a range of inspirations. It may be uh, some new forms of prayer. It may be uh, a work uh, of mercy uh, uh, for somebody across the street. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, we've come to the point in the podcast where we get to ask you, Archbishop Vigneron, some questions that the faithful have submitted. If you are interested in asking a question, please feel free to email eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.org. When you email us, be sure to include your name and your parish, and of course, your question. So our first question, Archbishop Vigneron, comes from Connor at Divine Child and Rita at St. Colette. So this is two people that were wondering about it. We will occasionally see pictures of Pope Francis hearing confessions in St. Peter's Square. Do you ever hear confessions from clergy and or the laity? And do you go to another bishop for confession? About my hearing confessions, it's been a while since I've uh, taken my turn to uh, sit in the confessional. So I haven't been uh, been doing that uh, in the recent time. For my own confession, um, it's interesting that uh, the uh, questioners would imagine that I need to go to a bishop for my <laughs> I did think my that was confession. <laughs> I, I suppose that's a sense of the hierarchy in the church. But right. as a matter of fact, I go to a priest. Uh, I have a spiritual director that I see regularly, but not as often as I go to confession. So I, I try to go frequently uh and uh, uh usually i'm able to ask a priest to hear my confession uh, uh privately i don't necessarily mm -hmm. sometimes i have gone to the capuchins for confession but usually i huh. just ask a priest if he'd be able to hear my confession um that's cool we were at uh go ahead we were at the capuchins i always end up seeing some priests and sometimes bishops there waiting in line that's where i bring my kids because it's so convenient that you know every every hour you know from nine to four they hear they hear confession so no it's a great uh, great a great blessing let me just say a word to endorse frequency of confession uh, when i grew yeah. up as a kid uh, the practice that almost all parish priests held up to regular mass goers was confession once a month uh, and i think mm -hmm. that's a very very good practice for for catholics um, I, I know it's we've gotten out of the habit of that but uh, the sacrament of penance is the sacrament of uh, of repentance and a life uh, we as catholics need to live a life of constant repentance and uh, we do that every day with our act of contrition, but uh, the sacrament of penance is a powerful grace to sustain us in, in a life of, of repentance. And I, I, I think, uh, I, I hope we can make progress to getting back to a point where that's just ordinary for people. You know, weekly, Sunday ma weekly Mass and uh, every Sunday Mass and uh, monthly confession. 
Let me ask you a question kind of to put you on the spot. I love that advice about going once a month. Is there any kind of priestly advice that you give to people about confession? I always like to ask priests, like, is there something we should be thinking about or considering when we go into the sacrament of reconciliation? Like, what's your number one piece of advice besides going once a month, which I think is excellent advice? Do you have any other advice about going to the sacrament of reconciliation? You mean uh, what, what, the priest, what the penitent uh, ought to think about in presenting to the priest? Yeah, like maybe even disposition, just something that would be helpful. I think reconciliation, it, it scares a lot of people, even those of us that go all the time. Sometimes I'm like, am I doing this right? Like, is, there, is there a piece of advice that you would have to those of us that are going to the reconciliation? To make to the a more fruitful confession. I would say, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I mean, it's very important that one confesses uh, one's sins and not one's feelings, because feelings as such uh, are not sins. They just happen to us. It's what we do with our feelings. But uh. Uh, that said, uh, try to see in your examination how the sinful acts that I perform uh, are uh, fruits of self-love and uh, acts where I, uh, I have failed to have confidence in, in uh, the care of God for me. A simple example. Mm. So if, if, I've been, if I've told some lies, to not mm -hmm. just think about and, and, and say, you know, I told lies, I'm a liar, uh, but uh, to recognize the weakness of my trust in God that led me to protect myself by telling the lie. Hmm. I think uh, that's a good, that's very helpful uh, uh, to move us along the path of, of repentance and growth in holiness. That's awesome. Thanks for answering my question in the middle of questions. <laughs> I thought that'll be helpful. Mary, you're supposed to submit that to the know, questions sorry. at Pot no. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Very good. I got a question here, uh, Archbishop, for you uh, from Don at Sacred Heart in Dearborn. And his question is, outside of St. Peter, what pope do you think was the most influential in the history of the Catholic Church? Oh, gee. The one know, most one. influential. Uh, that's a really... Uh, I, I don't know if I can say that it is. he is the most influential. But a man mm. I would offer as worthy of that uh, 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 nomination would be Pope Leo the Great. Pope Leo mm -hmm. uh, settled a very, very important issue, a question about the one person and two natures of Jesus Christ. And mm. in, in that witness of... Uh, uh, his uh, magisterial authority, uh, he has had a tremendous impact on everything else in the life of the church. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. So what, what year would that have been around, um, Archbishop? Oh, I think it's in the 400s. Uh, it yeah. was ratified at the uh, Council of uh, Chalcedon, in 451. So I know it's the 400s. Yeah. Uh, Pope Leo uh, sent, a, it's called a letter, uh, he, but it's a long tome, actually, a kind of a, a theological essay to the uh, Patriarch of Constantinople. Uh, and it was read 
to the fathers of Chalcedon. And the acclamation was, Peter has spoken through Leo. Um, so, mm. Yeah. And of course, that, that uh, discrepancy and uh, talk about Christ and his two natures, that kind of put to bed the Arian heresy issue for a while. Is that right? Well, it, it was one further settling of it. And what, what it really right. helps uh, make clear is that uh, God in his divine action acts through integral created reality. The humanness of Jesus is the divine person acting so that we can say in all truth that when uh, Jesus with his right hand touched somebody, that was God's touch. And that's a simple mm. way to put it. But then we can go on to say that on the cross, God died. Now, he didn't die in his divinity, uh, right. he's, he's immortal, but it was he, God died. And this is important mm -hmm. even for the life of the sacraments, uh, for the church, that God uses created things to communicate his divine life. And in doing that, he doesn't uh, skew or uh, scramble the integrity of those natural things. For example, mm. uh, mm -hmm. the Holy Eucharist is always going to taste like bread and wine, but it is mm -hmm. truly uh, God present to us. Uh, but this is, Mary talked about, I forget Mary what your word was about junk in the church. Uh, yeah, something like that. Sorry. You know, this is <laughs> the stuff, the harder, the messy. The messy. This is yeah. what Pope Leo uh, said so very clearly about the person of Jesus applies similarly to the church. It's not, it, we can't get into, well, is the church uh, from God or is the church a, a human reality? And the answer is yes. <laughs> so, so that God uses uh, the things of his creation to uh, uh, communicate his very self. So I think that that's why I pick Leo, because that's really important uh, up and down the life of the church. Good stuff. All right, our last question is from Katie at St. Genevieve, St. Maurice, and Livonia. And Katie asks, how do you, or how should we, respond to individuals who are trying to debate or argue about established teachings of the Catholic faith? Well, I think that depends on uh, who the interlocutors are. I mean, for every, any interlocutor, how should we respond? We have to go into this discussion with charity uh, I, don't, I don't know that the word debate is uh, particularly helpful. Respond, I think, is better. I think uh, going into a conversation like that, always mindful, as St. John Paul said, that it's a human interaction, and I'm going to gain something as well as what I might be able to share of light when I speak about the teachings mm -hmm. of the Church. Now, if, uh, if my interlocutor, the person I'm in dialogue with, is, is a faithful Catholic, 
the, the discussion is going to be, well, is this something really the church teaches? Because the, in the yeah. act of the, uh, the Catholic act of faith is, I believe, all that the church teaches as revealed because she, uh, uh, she speaks for Christ. So that, that's, mm. but if uh, someone doesn't have that kind of Catholic act of faith, well, then you have to ask what are the bases that you can have the discussion on. Uh, it might mm -hmm. be scripture if it's a, a, a person of a, of a, a Reformation community. Uh, if it's someone who has, uh, is, is not a Christian, uh, then uh, it, the argument will be, well, what's appropriate for uh, the advancement and, and flourishing of human life to help them see how uh, the, the doctrine of the church, say the doctrine of Our Lady's Assumption, is not contradictory to, uh, to reason, but in fact, mm -hmm. uh, there, these are the evidences for it, and uh, this is how it helps make sense of human life. So, I don't know if that, do you wanna, do you wanna, you wanna get me to be more precise, or is that helpful, do you think? <laughs> you know, I, I, I think your distinction right in the beginning was really helpful to me. I think sometimes when it, the Catholic worldview, right, is now coming to a point where you'll notice that the secular worldview seems quite different. So I'll get in conversations, and even with fellow Catholics, about church teachings, and I sometimes can get lost, and it becomes a debate, right? It becomes about the issue versus kind of the core of the discussion and having a fruitful discussion with another believer or non-believer that can teach me something like there's a disposition i think that's really helpful going into it is there any um like specific tips that you would give like uh, apologetic tools that we can use when trying to explain our faith in in real practical ways to people when they have questions well i i mean i think there are a lot of good websites that offer uh, mm -hmm. a, a apologetic uh, helps uh, one i know is catholic answers but I don't, uh, I wouldn't say that, I mean, I just know there are lots. I, th I think, right. think you can find a lot on, uh, on the web. You need to be careful to be sure they're, they're solid. But do, you, do right. you, either of you know any that you would recommend? You know, personally, I, I find that I like um, Word on Fire, Bishop Barron's yeah, work. I feel yeah, like it's very right. uh, helpful. I think it's got some great stuff out there that's really helpful. I agree with. You. I like when Mike listens to Word on Fire and then tells me about it. So I take Mike. Mike filters <laughs> it for me, and then I get to, no. But like things like that, and I always, to me, it's very helpful sometimes just to go right back to the Catechism to like root myself in what is true. You know, when we're having some of these difficult discussions, I think, mm. you know, some of the discussions about how to practically apply church teaching in our culture are, are difficult. You know, and so making sure that uh, we're rooted in what the church teaches from her core like the actual teaching you know before we go out and try to discuss it so right yeah and and with people who aren't catholic uh, uh, non-catholic christians i know a very important uh, point of discussion is uh, the relationship between our doctrine and the evidence for them in sacred scripture that's yeah. very helpful it's always surprising when you're in, in relationship you know in I'll meet moms and things like that that are of uh, non-Catholic uh, Christian traditions, and they're always surprised when when we do get into those discussions. And that you know, almost every everything, not almost everything in our church is deeply connected to Scripture. That's illuminating to people. They don't actually many people don't know that, and so it's a good. That's a really good reminder too. 
Very good. Well, Archbishop, thank you so much again for joining us. And before we close, I wanted to ask if there was anything specific that we could keep in mind for you as far as prayer intentions that are on your heart that we can pray on your behalf or for you. Is there anything uh, that we could, that us listeners could pray for you for? Well, as I said uh, earlier in the conversation, Mike, uh, we are beginning very intensive steps of moving us to launching the first wave of families of parishes. So I would ask uh, everybody to pray for uh, those families and for the priest leaders uh, who uh, will be responsible for uh, uh, taking us across the Red Sea <laughs> into, yeah. into the new yeah. land. So that would be very good. Yeah. Okay. Very good. We'll definitely keep that in mind, Archbishop. And hey, would you mind if uh, closing us with, uh, with your blessing? I'd be happy to do that. Lord God, we have begun uh, this day confident in your power, in your divine mercy. We give you glory. And may Almighty God bless all of you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thanks so much, Archbishop. You're welcome. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like Detroit Stories, a new podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.